my first experience as a small group leader with the seventh graders here uh, was a little bit different. I, I wasn't expecting um, how much fun I would have. I realized working with them, I'm an overgrown seventh grader, so we kind of click and we kind of fit together. I first met Elijah uh, at small group and he had just like the biggest smile just getting to know his interest and then knowing that he likes to dance. Uh, he and I had a dance-off. Uh, I won, by the way. Uh, we had a dance-off at one of the one nights and just being able to connect with him through through what's going on in his world uh, is, is really a blessing. One of the first or second Sundays, I got a private message saying, Elijah, my son is in your group and, and he really enjoyed your group today. And so I took it that that was a good sign uh, that something was going well. And so the next Sunday, I actually met LaShawn and Jessica and just wanted to introduce myself. We met Alan, and my first impression, um, he was another guy I could just joke and hang out with, have some fun, bounce some ideas off. And I figured he was the perfect person for Elijah because, you know, Elijah likes to be silly and have fun. Um, but he's also serious about the Word of God. And so I, that healthy dynamic, I thought it was beautiful. Alan has partnered with my husband and I to really grow Elijah's faith. He was able to step out of his comfort zone, um, out of his shell, and really dig in in small groups, actively participating and answering questions and reading God's Word and doing it on his own at home. Um, he motivated the boys to, to serve and get out there in the community, which is really important. It's to live out your faith is um, what I really love that Alan is doing with the boys. Uh, I feel like it's very important that this group connects outside of these walls as well. And, you know, we go to the movies and we have fun, but, you know, recently we went and served at the Low Country Food Bank. Uh, and it was just a real eye-opening experience to me that this is the next generation and we need to get them serving. Um, very powerful for me to take a group of students there and to have them ask me at the end of the day, can we do this again? Alan has helped me through my life by being like an older brother to me, making me feel like family and like Seacoast is my second home. And he just helped me grow in my faith a lot and I thank him for that. My favorite part of small group is when we pray at the end because we're all holding hands and I just feel connected with all the other guys and we're all good friends because of that. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Isn't that so cool? And that's just one story from all of our campuses uh, of what God's doing inside of our small groups. My name is John Holm. I'm the student pastor for Seacoast Church. And welcome, welcome, welcome this morning. You're in for a treat, uh, not because of me, but just the students who are all around just serving, serving, serving. And uh, so thank you for allowing us to kind of step into the, the big church world a little bit and uh, be a part of your life. Um, I want to do a couple things before we start. Uh, we're trying to teach this generation respect and honor and how to honor. And so I want to honor a few people this morning. I want to honor Pastor Greg and Pastor Josh and our campus pastors at all of our campuses as well. Could we do that right now? Just thank you so much for their investment and their heart for the next generation championing. Um, really, Pastor Greg is the original youth pastor. I'm just filling the spot he needs me to play in this generation. 
And also, those of you who work with kids and students, if you're here, just raise your hand real high if you work with kids and students. I see some of you who aren't raising your hands who should be. Jahira, I'm not going to say anything. Um, but those of you who work with kids and students, raise them high, raise them high, raise them high. Let's say thank you to them. Love you guys, love you guys, love you guys. It's sometimes a thankless job. It's very tiresome, but it is worth every moment, every story. It's worth it. Just to give you a little bit of history about who I am, some of you here know me uh, probably better than some of the campuses. Um, but I'm, I'm married with uh, three kids. Show you a picture real quick right there of our family. Um, my wife and I, we have, uh, I think we're going on 17 years this month. Our oldest will be 13 this month. And we've been in ministry for 20 years this year. I turned 40 this year. Isn't that bad? That's horrible. It's good. It's really good. And so um, 20 years of experience in youth ministry, and we, we had a small hiatus in church planting. Uh, we're about six, seven years ago, we were on staff here at Seacoast, and then being in this environment really felt just called probably this, like an incubator of, man, we feel like we need to step out and plant a church. And so we planted a church with some friends, and we both were the lead pastors, so two lead pastors at a church. And about two and a half, almost three years into the church plant, we just realized that at a town of 19,000, we don't need two lead pastors. We could use one of our salaries to have staff. And so um, we wanted the health of the church really to be the forefront. And so I just, I did a 21-day prayer and fast and was just asking God, what would my role be? Do, is, it, is it me? Is it, you know, what, what would we do? Do we go plant another church? Um, what would you have us do? And halfway into that 21 days of, of praying and fasting, uh, really felt God just pierce my heart saying, you're not done in student ministry. So I went, okay. So I began to pray, uh, all right, God, if, if I'm not done in student ministry, I sure would love to go back to Seacoast. Um, Minnesota, South Carolina. <laughs> Minnesota. Come on, are you with me? Are you, anybody from Minnesota? You, that's why you're in South Carolina. And so I said, but, and my wife's like, don't you dare call them and ask for a job. If, it's, if God's in it, then uh, they'll call us. And I'm like, okay, all right. I can, I can respect that. Three days after um, that 21 days was over, I get a phone call from Pastor Josh Walters, and, and he said, hey, bro, Pastor Greg had an idea. Would you consider, we know you wouldn't plant at a church, and we know things are going well. Would you consider coming back and heading up our student ministries? Would you pray about it? I said, I don't need to pray about it. And actually, I, started, I was crying on the phone because I've been praying for 21 days about what the next step needs to be to transition this church and, make, and keep it healthy and, you know, what our next step would be. And I feel God calling me back into youth ministry. We need the old guard still in youth ministry um, to raise up next-gen leaders. And so um, the funny thing is, after hanging up the phone, probably a few hours later, my wife comes in, and, and uh, I'll, I'll pull the microphone down to tell you her reaction. She comes walking in, and, and she goes, how could anyone choose to live in this coldest state ever? I mean, she was just so angry at the cold uh, because it was the coldest day of history in Minnesota. And uh, she's just like, you know, the safe place to vent. It's the home, right? So she's venting. And I'm like, babe, why don't you grab a seat? I've got some changes we might be making that will probably benefit your attitude. Uh, so <laughs> here we are. And uh, loving it, loving it, loving it. We're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. I would love to stay in youth ministry as long as you'll have me. 
And as long as students still think uh, they, well, I'm not cool, so as long as they still like me, I'd love to stay in it. Um, because we do need old guards still speaking in to the next generation and uh, raising up next-gen leaders. And so that's where we're at. I have a resource on the, um, on the screen for you. Would love for you to take advantage of that. It's, uh, if you want to take a screenshot of the screen, you can just to kind of save it for later. Um, but it's our Parent Connect. You don't have to be a parent to be a part of this. It really is a monthly email I send out that just help you navigate culture with, with just the, the changes that are happening in culture. And I also do a Monday motivational text to all of, all of you who are part of that, just a challenge, a prayer, um, encouragement to just help you continue to fight for the faith of our, our young ones. So, all right, are we ready to, to get started? It's 10 o'clock. You should be awake a little bit. All right, good. You were given a tape measure when you walked in. Grab that for me real quick if you could. It's not to measure ourselves or our biceps. I've been working on it a little bit, but uh, my daughter's turning 13, so I've got to work out to make sure these boys are scared of me. I want you to find your age on the tape measure and tear it off. Now, I got yelled at first service because she said... Uh, there's not enough spots on this tape. And I'm like, girl, you go, go, yelling at me at 94. I love it. So find your age, rip it off. I'm 39, turned 40 this year. Whew. All right. That is representation of the past. Now listen, I felt like God dropped something in my heart when I was preparing this message regarding the past. You are not defined by your past. Whether the decisions you made earlier in your, in your life or decisions that were made for you, you are not defined by your past. And forgiveness may not necessarily change the past, but it enlarges your future. And if you focus too much on the past, the future loses its power. That's what I love about Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And the only hope we can find is in Jesus Christ. The only best future we can find is in Jesus Christ. So thank the past for its many lessons, and let's get rid of it. Now grab the tape measure again, and I'm going to do something a little weird, but because I'm a youth pastor and uh, it's just par for the course, we're going to have some weird times this morning, some uncomfortable times this morning, and we should be okay with that, right? So what I want you to do is I want you to find the age that you think you are going to live to. Oh, did anybody's chest just get a little tight? Mine did a little bit as I'm trying to like determine, be prophetic. Uh, and that's where I got yelled at. There's not enough lines on this tape measure. So I'm going to rip mine off. Some of you are being a little prophetic going, it's be a good year. It's going to be a good life. This represents the time we have right now. And in your worship guide, you saw that there are 936 weeks from birth to graduation with our kids. That is not a lot of time. And as we look at, as Scripture talks about, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're a vapor. Our life is a vapor, it says. And another way to put it, uh, putting a visual number to this idea isn't new. In Psalms it says this, so teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. To number our days, to get a heart of wisdom. What's a heart of wisdom? It really means just focusing on what truly matters and how we use the time we've been given. Some, we may have a lot more time. Some, it may be shorter. Some of us are thinking, oh my goodness, I've got a lot to do in that time span. 
But when you visualize the end goal, the win for your life, when you have the end in mind, it narrows your focus, you begin to guard your time a little more, you value people and friendships a little bit deeper, you become more intentional about what you do. So the heart behind Student Takeover, and we're going to do this every year, uh, is, is really to just recognize that this generation is not the church of tomorrow. They're the church today. Your kids, if you're a parent, your kids, from birth until they graduate, they're not the church tomorrow. They're the church today. And so we need to, as soon as possible, get them serving. Get them understanding what, what, what communion is and get them understanding what being a part of church life is. Getting them involved as quickly and as soon as possible. That helps on-road them and keeps them longer. My heart for us, and this is hopefully the, the goal of, of and the win for this morning, is that we would feel the weight, the importance, and the urgency of showing up and fighting for this generation that we would choose to have written on our heart, not on my watch. Not on my watch will I allow a generation to disappear from church. Not on my watch will I allow a generation fall away from God. Not on my watch. And when I picture me saying not on my watch, when I picture that, I pictured, I pictured a mom, okay, it's a weird mind. I pictured a mom and her daughter's walking down ready to go out for the, for the night. And she's like, girl, you ain't wearing, not on my watch, you ain't wearing going out on that, right? You see that? You picture that too? No, just me? All right, well, the count of three, I want you just to go, not on my watch and snap, just to make me feel better. Ready? One, two, three, not on my watch. The campuses, I hope you did that and you're not laughing at me. I've got a question for us. How long does it take to lose a generation from a Christian perspective? Go ahead and answer for me if you could. I, I came here from the north where it was really just in church, it was like this. And we're in the south where we should be able to like talk back, right? Do a little cheerleader move, a little, you know, when the point is good. Yes, it was a whip and nay for those who didn't understand that. Um, I, praise. Anyway, <laughs> a little praise break. How long does it take from a Christian perspective to lose a generation? One generation. One generation. The enemy knows this, and, and of course God warns us all through Scripture. And in my Bible, you can't necessarily see it, but I have these yellow tabs all through my Bible. And, and, and they're, they're marking next-gen type verses for me because I really want to establish my voice uh, for our church in the importance of next-gen. And so every time I see something of the importance of investing into the next generation, I tab it yellow. And, uh, and I, I go back to it, and as I begin to pray for our church and pray for our students. And, and it takes one generation... And there is someone in history who really grasped the weight of that. Actually, he said this, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. Can anyone guess who said that? Hitler. Now, those of us who remember history, we go, oh, yeah, there is a man who understood the importance of going after the young people. And my, my opa, my grandfather, um, my dad was born and raised in Germany, moved moved here when he was 16, and my opa was forced into the Hitler Youth Movement, and uh, he would never talk about it, hated it, hated it. All he wanted to talk about was Jesus, which is awesome that I think about now today, um, but at, when I was younger, I wanted to know his life and his history, and so as I did some research about the Hitler Youth Movement, it was just unreal of the pressure and the forcing that, that had, that they, the students were forced into his regime. And it went from 1,000 youth 
1948, million youth under his command and his control. It was the only youth organization allowed in Germany. And they ran sports and school and everything through his Hitler Youth Movement. And if you didn't agree with his ideology, as there were many in Germany who did not agree with Hitler, they were bullied in school. They were bullied by teachers. They were forced to do unimaginable things to persuade them and, and force them to serve under Hitler's. He, he, he got it. He understood it. And so if we're going to be a church that has written in our heart, has seared in our heart, has tattooed in our heart, not on my watch, then there's a few choices we need to make as a church and as individuals. Choices are easy in life if you know what you value, right? They're, they're fairly easy to make if, if you know what your value systems are and what you value. And so we as a church, we need to, to choose to pay attention to this generation. And when you stop paying attention, you miss out on some of Life's moments, sometimes funny, sometimes sad, sometimes mistakes. And so we'll look at a, a few of, of life's moments here. Beulah Hill just told us, God does not make mistakes, guys. <laughs> Got to pay attention to how you spell. Now, I don't know if anybody else has a, a, a desire for steak today, but I do. Or a mistake if you want. But another one here is uh, we love hurting people. <laughs> Listen, you got you got to pay attention because you have one job to do, and it's to pay attention, and there you go. And then here's another one of you got one job to do, buddy. Um, <laughs> just, all right, you're not paying attention. You're going you're gonna to make some mistakes. But also, if you don't pay attention, you miss some of, of life's beauty. My wife is from Wyoming, and, and uh, we did our honeymoon in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And on the way in, we passed the Grand Tetons. And, uh, and this is a picture of, isn't it just beautiful? And uh, if we're not paying attention, because all of us live, wherever we're at, Greenville, I know with the, 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 Falls, the Falls Park and in Charleston with just even the bridge. I've got so many pictures on my phone with the bridge. Um, just there's so many things that uh, you miss. And there was nothing beautiful in Minnesota. That's why I moved to something beautiful. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we need to choose to pay attention. And here's a picture that really defines paying attention. Anybody remember this story about the dad who protected his son from the flying bats that uh, went there? I don't think anybody else in that picture was really choosing to pay attention except for themselves. Um, but this is a dad who said, not on my watch. And this is a picture, really, if you just allow this picture to sit on you for a second, this is a picture that defines the church. Because all through life, Satan is throwing stuff at us throwing temptations at us, throwing distractions at us, and distraction after distraction. And now think about what this generation is going through with the deepest insecurities and the deepest anxiety and the deepest identity issues. Satan is just throwing bats, throwing bats, throwing bats. And the church is a great picture of just going, not on my watch, while I allow you to be hit by this. Not on my watch while I allow you to fall away. Not on my watch. The next generation will always be our greatest mission. If you think about the greatest mission field in your community, drive by a local school. The greatest mission field in your community is the local school. So next time you drive by a local school, pray. God is not a determiner of how effective the prayer is if it's five minutes, five hours, five days, or five seconds. Drive by the school and say, God, protect our kids. Let them see you and experience you today. Give them strength. 
and move on. Let's see what God will do in those moments. Pray for our teachers. Pray for our teachers. And those, we have many teachers in our campuses and here who who attend our church and are serving in the schools and loving on these kids. And pray that they can see Christ. Even though they can't use words, they can see the, the body language. They can see the actions. Pray for our teachers. Think back to your teenage years with me. Some of us, it's like just a few years ago, and others, it's uh, probably, you know, just a, a few years ago. But think back, and do you remember for a moment feeling afraid, feeling alone, unsure? Did your friends ever offer advice that uh, just didn't seem sound? Or maybe they didn't understand the depth of what you were dealing with? Can you recall ever needing someone to talk to, to pray with, to listen to, to lean on, or to pay attention to you? Do you remember ever needing a moment like that in your teen years, or even, even now? Someone to pay attention, someone to listen to. In 1975, the face of a 17-year-old girl swept through our media, swept through our magazines, swept through the newspapers. Her name was Lynette Squeaky Fromm, and she spent 30-plus years in prison after the assassination attempt on President Ford. And when asked why she did this, this was her answer. When I was 14 years old, I was a misfit. I was a misfit at home, I was a misfit at school, and so I decided to leave home and run across the U.S. to California. And I found myself sitting on a curb in California, and a man came up to me, put his hand on my head, and he said, why don't you follow me, I'll, I'll take care of you. And so I followed him. His, his name was Charles Manson. She said, I would still die for him today. She also said this, which is one of the most chilling statements, and when I read this a few years ago, it really seared my heart of why and how important this generation is. She said this, I decided when I was 14 years old that whoever loved me first could have my life. Whoever loved me first could have my life. There is a generation behind us saying that same statement. There's a generation behind us asking us to pay attention. If you did a quick Google search, you would see that over 93 million selfies are taking each day. There's a generation saying, please, someone, pay attention to me. Look at me. Pay attention. Who loves, who loves me first? Companies are investing so much money into the next generation with marketing because they know that this is an important generation. And, and the average American, 8 to 18, will spend seven and a half hours a day on electronic media. Seven and a half hours a day. So we'll break it down a little bit. 270 minutes watching TV, 82 minutes on the phone, 80 minutes playing games, 27 minutes on the computer, and nine minutes of meaningful conversation with an adult. When we focus our eyes on the wrong things and the wrong people, we can potentially damage our sensitivity to the truth. So if we aren't paying attention, not on my watch quickly turns into not my concern. So we need to choose to pay attention to a generation. We also need to choose to pass the torch of faith to the next generation. I want you to turn with me, if you could, to uh, the book of Judges. And then the book of Psalm 78, Judges chapter 2 and Psalm 78. And if you have the glowing Bible, figure out how to 
transition quickly. If you have the, the written Bible, just kind of put your finger in Psalm 78. But we're going to dive into Judges first. But in the book of Joshua, it talks about after the death of Moses. The very first verse talks about after the death of Moses. And the death of Moses transitioned quite smoothly into the leadership of Joshua. But then in the beginning of Judges, it talks about after the death of Joshua. But there isn't such a continuation of leadership. Judges, you see, is the theme of that whole book is about chaos. And you find the phrase repeated over and over again, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And before Joshua died, he made a covenant with the people that they would remain faithful to God. And it was kept until his death. And in the book of Joshua, actually Joshua 24, this is the last chapter, you find a few verses in there that says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. And then also a verse that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that was Joshua declaring to his people after the covenant he made with, with them, or, or a little bit before the covenant he made with them, um, saying that it is all of our responsibility to choose who we're going to serve. And he's saying, as for me and my house, it's my responsibility to raise up my house to invest into my house. And so he's laying that responsibility upon each and every person. But after he died, they began to complain and say, we need a leader. We need a leader to lead us. And so then the, the, the judges came on the scene because of that. And uh, really, it, it, it isn't the sole responsibility of, of John Holm or Pastor Greg Surratt or Pastor Josh Surratt to, to be the sole leader. The, really, the responsibility lies on all of us to invest into. We all have a next generation. My daughter, who turns 13 this month, has a next generation that she needs to be serving and leading and investing into. I have a next generation that I need to be leading, serving, and investing into. But because Joshua was not able to leave a successor, the, the successor, the Jews started to deviate from this covenant. And instead of keeping the covenant, they began to slowly absorb the culture and beliefs around them. Have you noticed recently or lately or for quite a few years that we're seeing generations absorb the beliefs and the culture around them? Have you noticed that? Be with me, nod your head with me, blink twice if you agree. It says this in, in verse 7 of, Ju of Judges chapter 2. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Did anybody pick 110? That's why we have the numbers up to 110, everybody. I just want to let you know. So it wasn't little faith of mine not giving you more numbers. But he died at the age of 110. And this is verse 10. It says this. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Then verse 12 says, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They chased after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. That is what we're seeing happening in a generation. And without a generation 
investing back into and pouring into and declaring the, the works of the Lord. And, and without a generation serving in our kids and our youth ministries and, and without, a, without a generation in our families who are not, who are not making church priority or who are not investing into their kids. And, and you know, the gamut can go on and on and on. But what we're seeing is a generation and what culture is wanting to do and what culture is saying is that everyone needs to discover truth on their own. Our kids need to discover truth on their own. And, and how is that working for us? How is that? It, culture isn't getting it right. And culture will not correct itself. It won't. Culture is saying, do it now. Do it. Google isn't the answer. Google is not the gospel. Jesus Christ is the answer. And Jesus is the gospel. And so the pattern we're seeing reflected in Judges is this. We're seeing a generation drift away from the righteous commitments of their fathers and departing from a personal relationship with God. And this is leading to following the lifestyles of culture and the values of culture, which leads to not following God. And so if you look at it this way, you can break it down like this. Um, if it's three generations, you look at three generations, not birth order, but believer order. The first generation who really starts to believe in Christ and give their life to Christ, all they have to offer on the altar of God is themselves. And so there's that holiness of, God, all I need is you. All I want is you. Nothing else will suffice. And then you've got a generation growing up behind them, not understanding the sacrifices that the, 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 the first generation made to have this relationship with Christ, not understanding the time and prayer that it took, not understanding the, the things that they gave up so that they could have all they could have as Jesus and God was moving in their life. So there's a generation going behind them, seeing the benefits, but not knowing the work ethic, not knowing the prayer ethic. So I can pay 2%, 5% down, but not pray. So then all of a sudden it turns into more, more of religious because it's, it's more of just the, the things to do and they're forgetting the relationship that really is all about relationship. And then you've got a, another generation behind that who really is growing up godless because they don't want these rituals and they, they didn't experience the things before. But then the cyclical thing happens that this godless generation realizes all I need is Jesus and all I can offer him on the, on the altar is my life. And so we see that in Judges right now, what you see in Judges is that that generation is growing up, not understanding, not following Christ. And a generation that forgets the Lord is a generation that can't recognize what or whom they are becoming. So we need to choose to pay attention, choose to pass the torch, and we need to choose to fight for this generation's faith. Judges 1.1 says, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? And if you have your Bible with you, um, would you underline, or if it's in your notes too, I think it might be in your notes, would you underline, who will fight for us? The story earlier was whoever loved me first would have my life. There's a generation saying, please pay attention. There's a generation also saying, who is fighting for me? Who really cares? Who really cares? And there's a, a story a, a few years ago, CBS did in 60 Minutes. They ran a segment about a problem they were having in a wildlife park in South Africa. And it was with uh, overpopulation of their elephant uh, population. And so someone had a great idea about moving all the, the, the baby elephants into a different um, 
with the mothers into a different wildlife park. And things went well for a season until these elephants turned into teenagers. And uh, then they began to see that these elephants were attacking an endangered species of rhinos. And so nothing the, the park managers and the game wardens could think of or do was, was helping uh, this issue until somebody had the idea of let's reintroduce the male bull elephants into the life of these, these young elephants again. And as they introduced these, these older elephants back into the lives of these younger teenage elephants, they began to see quickly the hierarchy begin to just unfold. That's a huge picture of the importance of men in the family and in the church. This is our fight. This, this is our fight. We have to choose to fight for this generation. This is our fight. It, it, it has to be written on our hearts, not on my watch. Not on my watch while I allow this generation to be left to, to discover truth on their own. Not on my watch while I allow a generation fall away from, from the church and fall away from God and fall away from diving into his word. Not on my watch will I allow this to happen. This is my fight. This is, my fight. This is, this is not a not my concern issue. And sometimes it's hard for a younger generation to, to see Jesus. But they can see those of us who love them. They can see you. They can see you and they can see you in Columbia and Greenville and Asheville and North Charleston. They can see you and they can see Jesus in you. I always tell our students to be Jesus with skin on to their friends. Let them see Christ in you. Our mission is simple and it's just to show up. Listen, it's not babysitting or childcare at church. It's discipleship. Even at the young age, it's discipleship. And it's not just a pizza party, it's building relationships. And students, if you're sitting in this service, it's not just a party that you're invited to on a Friday night to go hang out and, and do some things that are, are contradictory to the, the, the values that you're trying to live your life by, you're trying to filter your life through God's word. It's not just a party to go hang out and, and do stupid things. It's a platform for you to be an example to those who do not have a, a godly heritage, to those who, do, who are far from God. It is a platform to be the example God has called us to be. You can still shape history. You can still shape students' lives. You can still make a difference. And it's not just filling a volunteer spot, it's influencing and shaping someone's future. And so I asked you to turn to Psalm 78, and I'm going to read a few verses, and then I want to share a verse that really, um, man, it just, it messed, it messed me up. I'm going to start in verse 1, and, and we'll, we'll close in probably around verse 11. This is this, oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. We will not hide these truths from our children. So imagine you um, finding a letter from uh, a parent who had passed away, one of your par a parent who had passed away. You found a letter and it said, dear, and put your name. So dear John, well, that's the wrong letter. Um, but you, found, you, know, you know what I'm saying. Dear your name, I've left 
an amazing inheritance for you. A phenomenal inheritance for you. And, and, but you've, you've got to first find my will to discover the inheritance I have for you. And, and I can't necessarily disclose the location of uh, the will, but I can tell you I've buried it in the state of Montana. Good luck. I hope you find it. Love, your parent. Now, that's, that's hiding the blessing, right? That's hiding the blessing from our kids. That's, that's hiding their inheritance. And if we fail to teach our children about the Lord, then we rob them of their true inheritance. If we fail to teach our children about the Lord, we rob them of the only inheritance that matters. Verse five says, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them and even their children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So here's some things we can do to teach our children. Look for teachable moments in every day. Discuss the news, life choices, movies, music. When TV shows or ads contradict your biblical values, use those as opportunities to teach God's truth. Be an example in what you say, the way you live, your love, your faith, and your purity. Explain to them what sin is and how we need Jesus. And this generation needs to see from us that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is enough. He's all we need. We don't need more toys, more money, bigger houses. We don't need more, more, more. We need to see that Jesus is enough for our life, for our families, for our kids. He's, he's all we need. Lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Teach them how to hear God's voice by asking questions of what do you think God's trying to show you? Or if they're reading their Bible and you're challenging them to read the word of God, what's God showing you in his word? Have fun with this generation. Laugh, make memories that lead to stories that lead people to Christ. Verse seven says, so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. And then this verse happened. The warriors of Ephraim, though fully armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instructions. They forgot what he had done. Now, why is this verse behind the first seven, eight verses saying, don't hide these truths, invest in these truths, speak into, raise up so those who are not yet born understand, give, 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 pour, 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 don't hide, don't hide, don't hide. And then why is this verse, this is the warriors of Ephraim, one version said, fully armed on the day of battle, turned their back. Why is that right after talking about the next generation? I felt like God just dropped in my heart when I read this. It just, it just hit me. We've got a generation that feels abandoned. We've got a generation that has experienced being walked out on. We've got generations growing up that have seen the backs when the battle has been so hard and the fight is raging, we've got a generation that is seeing the backs of who needs to fight for them. 
And I don't say this in any type of guilt. Whenever I prepare a message for our students and even for you, this is what God is, this is what God is doing in me. And I love what Andy Stanley says, it's not his job to fill your cup, it's his job to empty his. So I'm emptying my cup to you tonight, today, church, to be a church that says, not on my watch. Not on my watch will my back be turned to a generation. Not on my watch, this is my concern. This is my, you are my concern. We should all have a group that we look to and point to and say, this is the group that I'm giving my life to. Obedience and faithfulness is all God requires. And that is true success in his eyes. And I'll leave you with this and then we'll pray and, and walk into response. Someone else's eternity hangs in the balance of our obedience. And obedience changes generations. Obedience changes generations. 1 Corinthians has a great statement in chapter 16 of what a generation needs from us, and this is what it is. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith, which means have firm convictions. Have so be it issues for you that this is sin for me if I do this. Firm convictions. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. Be on guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. This generation needs to see that there is a generation ahead of them that loves them and is investing into them. So would you ask God this morning if there's a part that he would have you play in this next generation? God, search my heart. Is there something I can do? And there's a couple ways that you can play a part, which is you can invest your actual time and your life into the next generation. You can join the dream team. And if you are on the dream team, you can bring someone with you. Our best recruiters are those who are already serving. You can serve in our kids' ministries. You can serve in our youth ministries. At all of our campuses, we need you. We are not overpopulated by leaders. We are overpopulated by kids. You can invest your resources giving to the Imagine campaign. and That is going to invest into the next generation. Not just the Mount Pleasant campus, but all of our campuses. We come together every month and we worship. And there would be an environment for your students to experience God on a, on a different level. You can invest into scholarships for camp where we get our, camp, our kids to this environment where we don't let them bring their phones because we don't want anything to distract them from what God wants to do in and through their life. And we're seeing God do some amazing things in our kids. But it is a fight for their faith. It is a daily fight. It's like two steps forward and four steps back. But we're continuing to push and advance the kingdom of God in their lives forward. God, is there something you want me to do? And what part do you want me to play? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this generation. Thank you that, Lord, in the hearts of this church, they are not abandoned. In the hearts of this leadership, in the hearts of the people sitting in this place and in our campuses, they are not abandoned. We're doing whatever it takes to see them find and follow you. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to serve this generation, to get into the trenches and to cry with them, to laugh with them, and to help them find you and grow in their faith with you. 
I pray for every person in this place that, God, you would put something on our heart, whether it's driving by school and praying, whether it's getting involved, whether it's giving. I pray that we all would play a part and we would say, not on my watch will we allow this generation to fall away. We love you, Jesus. We praise your name. Amen.